earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today's Part 17 in the Acts of the Resurrection Life series. If you missed any parts, the podcasts are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Search the menu for local program podcasts. Today's title, Taking the Witness Stand, actually draws us to explore Acts chapters 21 through 26. As we continue our thematic journey through Acts, we're going to trace some unique manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit in the Apostle Paul's life as he witnesses to the gospel and to the resurrected Christ. But before we dive into these several chapters, I'd like to share an anecdotal story about the Reinard family. You see, friends, for Mr. Douglas Reinard and his family, their custom was to have a sing-along in their car when they were traveling. From experience, Doug and his wife learned that sing-alongs helped keep their young boys out of trouble and in a good mood while in the car. One Sunday, on their way to church for the Easter service, a memorable experience occurred. Their older son, Aaron, asked if they could all sing the gravy song. Well, Mom and Dad, somewhat perplexed, didn't want to project their ignorance, so Mom eagerly asked Aaron, Which song is that, honey? How about you start it for us? Well, with all innocence, Aaron began belting it out proudly. Up from the grave he arose! Out of the mouths of babes, right? Friends, on another note, does the name Dwight L. Moody ring a bell? An American evangelist in the mid-1800s, D.L. Moody, as he came to be known, founded the Chicago Evangelization Society, now known by the more familiar name Moody Bible Institute. And it so happens that Moody Church in Chicago and Moody Press are also named after him. Well, Moody shared that when he was still a young man, he was called on at the last minute to preach at a funeral service. As a conscientious Bible student, he hunted fervently through the four Gospels in an effort to find an example of how Jesus conducted a funeral, intent on gleaning from one of his funeral sermons. Well, to Moody's shock and amazement, this became an exercise in futility because he quickly discovered that that Jesus didn't conduct funerals at all. In fact, Moody found that Jesus broke up every funeral he attended. You see, death could not coexist with Jesus Christ. As Moody realized, and as we all know, when the dead hear Jesus' voice, they spring to life. So Moody was forced to conclude that Jesus only conducted resurrections. Resurrections! Friends, I'm sure you're familiar with some incredible artist renderings of the empty tomb scene. 
So picture one of those in your mind, and think back to Easter, or as I prefer to say, Resurrection Day. You know, friends, I began this series at Easter time. Since then, we've gone on a glorious journey through the Book of Acts, tracing the various manifestations of power, in other words, resurrection power, in the lives of the apostles and followers of Jesus, and the power behind their acts. I'm curious, friends, do any of you wake up on Sunday mornings and say, Oh, Sunday again? You know, that's the, there's only two types of people in the world, right? Those who wake up and say, Good morning, Lord. Those are obviously morning people. And those who wake up and say, Good Lord, morning. It's interesting, friends, that the early Christians began meeting for worship on the first day of the week, Sunday. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And by the way, here's a free fact. Contrary to popular belief, Sunday is not the Sabbath day. Now, while we routinely set aside one Sunday a year to commemorate the resurrection, every Sunday, friends, when we rise up out of bed, we should be exclaiming, Up from the grave, heroes! I realize, friends, that in today's times, services are held on various days of the week, and that's cool, but we should still be intentionally setting our minds on associating Sunday with Resurrection Day. Well, in our selective and thematic journey through Acts, we're now getting close to the end of the book and the conclusion of our series. I hope it's been a great journey for you. It has been for me. So today, friends, we're actually going to pan across chapters 21 through 26. Six chapters. Honestly, I wish we could just read through these chapters together, because this is an incredibly fascinating section. We can get the most out of it if we read chapters 21 through 26 in one sitting. We'll discover with amazement several recurring themes and conversations. And it's precisely to these recurring themes and conversations that I'll draw our attention. But I really want you to reap the benefits of and not miss out on the reward of reading through this section of Acts. So friends, please make it your aim to read chapters 21 through 26, either today or in the next few days. I promise you'll be touched. It's pretty amazing to watch the momentum that is building as Paul and his missionary party go from city to city proclaiming the gospel message. But before we begin with Acts 21 today, I'd be it would be really helpful to recall the prophetic words Jesus spoke to his disciples concerning one thing that would happen to them as they proclaimed the gospel. These words appear in and are repeated in three of the four Gospels, Matthew 10, Mark 13, and Luke 21. In Matthew's account, Jesus reveals this truth to his disciples as their missionary movement is being inaugurated. Mark and Luke's account, on the other hand, record Jesus reiterating this truth in his final teaching segment before the betrayal and arrest that lead to his trial. 
torture and crucifixion. Well, I've chosen to elaborate on Luke chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. It's interesting to note that in Mark and Luke, the prophetic words of Jesus unfold in conjunction with his end times discourse. In other words, in the midst of things and events that will signal the end of the age. So, I believe, friends, that when we familiarize ourselves with all three gospel accounts, we discover that, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these prophetic statements tell us that this is not just a phenomenon limited to the first century followers of Jesus. As we might conclude if we only read Matthew. I propose that Mark's and Luke's accounts suggest that we Christ followers, some 2,000 years later, are just as likely to experience this phenomenon. So, here's Jesus' words in Luke 21, 10-15. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony. And this is our word, witness to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Jesus' word testimony, which I mentioned is also our word witness, are both derived from the Greek word martus, which in several parts of speech give us words like martoria, martorio, and martorian. You can probably pick out from the way I've pronounced them that our English word martyr comes from this word. So, friends, along with tracing the manifestations of power throughout the book of Acts, I propose that coming alongside for the ride is the idea of boldness, and particularly boldness to be a witness or testify to the gospel, especially in a hostile environment. This idea of witness, or being a testimony, or testifying, is also repeated throughout the book of Acts. In fact, when I combed through Acts, I discovered that this word, translated as witness, witnesses, testify, and testimony, appear 23 times. So, it becomes quite evident, doesn't it, that one of Luke's goals in composing Acts is to document evidence that validates Jesus' charge to his disciples in Acts 1.8. You remember that, don't you? This time, listen for the word witness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And by the way, friends, let's not forget that Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he himself is not willing to do. Let's not forget Jesus' conversation when he stood before Pilate in John 18. Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. 
You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify or bear witness to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And friends, at the same time, let's continually remind ourselves of the Apostle Peter's words in 1 Peter 3, 14-17. Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the things which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing right, rather than for doing what is wrong. Friends, I don't know if you caught that, but at first glance it seems as if Peter's words contradict Jesus' words in Luke 21 that we just read earlier. But the careful private investigator with his magnifying glass will detect that there's really no contradiction at all. Let me just briefly recall the statement by Jesus for our benefit. You will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in you being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Friends, I propose that what Peter's counsel is coming from the perspective of the what. In other words, what we need to know to be ready to defend our faith. At the root of Peter's counsel is engaging our minds, formulating reasoned arguments and defenses based on the truth of the revelation of the resurrected Messiah, a hope anchored in the reality of that resurrection. On the other hand, I propose that Jesus' words in Luke 21 are coming from the perspective of the how. In other words, don't fret over or sweat over the how. How you will choose the right words to say at the appropriate time. The meaning behind Peter's words is based on his use of the word answer, from where we get our English word apologetic, a word which in that time in history meant formulating a reasoned defense of one's beliefs, or arguing for one's beliefs in a rational manner, a manner that satisfied the curiosity of the mind. And the meaning behind Jesus' words takes its cue, I believe, from his use of the word heart. The New Testament Greek word here is cardia, from where we get our English words cardiac and cardiac arrest. In essence, friends, Jesus was counseling us to not let our hearts panic or be anxious about crafting our defenses. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus will bring forth or give the right words at the right time and in the right order. And here's a cool little side note. Our translations, bring forth or give, stem from a word with a broad range of meanings, one being to have power. So in this context, I see no reason why we can't deduce that when Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, brings forth or gives us the right words, we'll actually be given power. Power that will make it obvious to our opponents that it is not just us speaking, Christ will be speaking through us. And... Along with that power will come a special dose of wisdom, according to verse 15. 
Well, friends, this entire backstory, in my opinion, is necessary homework and background preparation for fully understanding what's going to take place in Acts chapters 21 through 26. You see, how Paul conducts himself is directly related to how the Holy Spirit leads and guides him to be a witness or testify to his hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ before high officials in the empire. Recall that one line in Jesus' discourse, you will be brought before kings and governors on account of me. And in this case, Paul will be facing officials in both the Jewish, religious, and political arena and in the Roman government. So, friends, with bated breath, let's begin with Acts 21. Now, Acts 21 documents Paul's return to Jerusalem, which sets in motion the wheels that ultimately turn against him, wheels that finally lead to Paul being shipped under guard to Rome and there being placed under house arrest. It's like the domino effect. But thankfully, Paul's arrival in Jerusalem begins on a positive note. He meets with James and the other elders of the Jerusalem church and reports in detail all the great things God is doing among the Gentiles through his ministry. We see this in verses 17 through 19. And the section that begins at verse 27 records some irate Druze stirring up trouble for Paul and inciting a riot and then trying to kill him, as we see in verses 31 and 32. Once again, spiritual opposition, or as we noted last time, more catfish. Well, here Roman troops had to be summoned to restore order, and the commander gives Paul permission to state his case. We see this in verse 37 and following, to the end of chapter 21. So, friends, let's notice how Paul begins stating his case as chapter 22 unfolds. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And here's our word, apologetic, in other words, his well-reasoned defense. Now, what's significant for our purposes today is what Paul shares in verses 14 through 22, which is his recap of a conversation that occurred back in chapter 9. This now becomes Paul's second opportunity to share his conversion experience and how he treated Christ's followers beforehand and how Jesus met him on the Damascus Road. As Paul's defense begins in chapter 22, the first thing we notice is his courage and boldness. But after this testimony, the crowd got a little crazy, shouting and flinging dirt into the air and throwing off their cloaks. So the commander moved Paul to the barracks and was intending to flog and interrogate him until he learned Paul was a Roman citizen. But he still wanted to know why the Jews were accusing him. So he released Paul and ordered the Jewish leaders to assemble and hear him out. Paul's testimony before them included brilliantly pitting the Pharisees and Sadducees against each other. An uproar resulted, which divided the group. The commander got pretty nervous because the dispute became violent, so he ordered troops to be brought in to escort Paul back to the barracks. Now, friends, listen to what is revealed while Paul was in the barracks. The Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have been witnessing about me in Jerusalem, so you must also witness for me in Rome. Friends, we can't simply read past these little gems. Well, opposition arises again. More catfish. 
Through a relative, Paul got wind of a conspiracy by a group of more than 40 Jews who bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they'd kill Paul. These conspirators went so far as to involve the Jewish religious leaders in a plot that would result in them ambushing Paul to kill him. But Paul was able to get word to the Roman commander who, late in the evening, amassed a detachment of 470 soldiers to escort Paul to the governor, Felix. Chapter 24 then signals Paul's appearance and trial before Felix. This is a lengthy section, but for our purposes, let's note a few things Paul says between verses 10 and 21. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. Now, as Paul's testimony unfolds, he continues, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. A little later on, Paul adds, These who are here should state what crime they found me. And when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was the one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. Well, Felix decided to keep Paul under guard, but allowed him some freedom so his friends could take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix sent for Paul because his wife was Jewish and they wanted to hear more from him. So Paul spoke of his faith in Jesus the Messiah, plus righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. But Felix had enough. It's curious, though, that Felix kept meeting with Paul, and the text says he was hoping Paul would offer him a bribe. Well, two years pass, and Felix was succeeded by Festus, who learned that Felix wanted to show favor to the Jews. So Festus left Paul in prison. But in Paul's dealings with Festus and arguing his case, he made an appeal to Caesar. So Festus replied, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you will go. But before Paul is sent to Caesar, King Agrippa comes to town and visits Festus. Festus briefs him on the case concerning Paul, and Agrippa wishes to hear Paul himself. So once again, Paul gets to share his testimony. Chapter 26 then signals the third time Paul witnesses to his conversion experience before a Roman official. As chapter 26 winds down and 27 opens, we find Paul and some other prisoners being handed over to a centurion and they set to sail for the long journey to Rome. And that's our cliffhanger to be continued. Well, friends, Paul, not larger than life, but just like you and me, accepts the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit wherever he's taken. He's remained true to his own words, spoken to the Ephesian elders back in Acts 20. Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying or witnessing to the good news of God's grace. Wow! 
Even though Paul didn't hear Jesus directly, I believe he took seriously the command Jesus gave in Acts 1.8, that when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, they will receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Paul appropriated this power of the Holy Spirit and was not afraid to take the witness stand for his faith. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of our program. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I'd love to hear your feedback on what these programs mean to you. A listener recently wrote in regarding Part 14, the segment on Thinking Outside the Box, with Great job! I pray not to open too many Pandora's boxes today. LOL! There are always many opportunities to share the faith. We just need to be kind, to listen with our hearts, and think outside the box. Well, thanks for your encouraging words. And remember, friends, all podcasts of A Word from the Word are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. And keep in mind, friends, that A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. If it's blessing you, please join the support team. Your sacrificial generosity is helping to keep this program on the air. Just write me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, If you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at awordfromtheword at minister.com. That's awordfromtheword at minister.com.